Berkeley, KFCF Fresno, kpfa.org, kfcf.org. Next up is Cover to Cover with Stone's Row and Jennifer Stone coming up right on these stations. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. Today. Is Tuesday, August the 21st, 2007. Let's see, two, 2007, August 21st. That means it's my youngest son's birthday. My youngest son is 45. Oh, my God. Happy birthday, Peter. That means he's middle-aged. What luck to live to be 45 years old in this world. To stay ahead of the flood and the fire and the hell and high water coming after us. That's a neat trick. Hmm, let's see. Ah, uh, it won't do to bake a cake for Peter. He's driving to Portland today. And I'm just trying to think. If anybody can think of something that a man requires at the age of 45... Write me a note and let me know. I, I, I'd be curious to know what a guy wants when he's 45. Uh, I'm just going to stay home tonight and watch cable TV, HBO. And I know that not many KPFA listeners have HBO. But I just mention this because it is so special. Kenneth Branagh has created a new production of Shakespeare's As You Like It. Kenneth Branagh seems to be the reigning um, actor, director, producer, Shakespearean, uh, what would we call that? He He's the voice uh, in this generation. He and his good wife, or ex-wife, pardon me, Emma Thompson, uh, he and Emma split. Oh, she said it was like breaking the fingers on your hand, but anyway... Uh, as You Like It is not my most favorite comedy, uh, but it has this feminist flair. Um, we used to do little bits of it when I was in college. Just the character of Rosaline, uh, or Rosalind, depending on your, uh, your teacher. Yes. I picked, uh, uh, Rosaline. That was my favorite. It's, it's kind of a Catherine Hepburn role, you know, that type androgynous, uh, but fundamentally feminine in the sense, you see, that nothing is more feminist than femininity, if you know what I mean. Um, now, Rosaline in As You Like It is... What is that? She's, she's profound when she gives romance the final kiss off, the final blow, uh, 
I remember how we thought this was so special in the 1950s. That was back in the days when romance was still supposed to be a serious thing. <laughs> Rosaline debunks the famous tragic legends of her time, you know, all about youthful romance and dying for love. She says, I quote, But these are all lies. Men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them, but not for love. Now, my sister taught me that line when I was 13, and she was 19. <laughs> I don't know why she was so crazy about that line. Yes, men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them, but not for love. She, my sister, she went on to die of love or the lack of love, uh, at the age of 44, the same age as my mother. Yes, both of them. Terminal romantics. Uh, but not, not our brilliant Rosaline, not Shakespeare's androgynous, uh, what is that? Queen? No, I don't like the word queen. She's elfin, I thought. Uh, I remember a pictures of Kate Hepburn on stage doing Rosaline. I had one in my room in college. Uh, there are a lot of characters in the play that have a gay persona. Shakespeare always used that, you know. It allows the characters to speak for both sexes. They have the cross-dressing thing, you know. And that androgynous perspective uh, gives them uh, uh, the artist's point of view. They don't have to stay inside the one gender. Uh, Shakespeare opens it all up. Let's characters say what they really feel. And you know and I know that truly women particularly uh, do not often say what they really think. Uh, men never do. Anyway, <laughs> now, I have not seen Kenneth Branagh's film yet. So if it turns out to be a royal turkey, well, I'm sorry. Uh, but I have seen the trailers and I wouldn't miss it for anything because... Uh, his past work with Shakespeare has certainly been uh, fascinating. Uh, the trailer makes it look like he's gone over the top this time. There's an Asian setting. Now, I don't know what the Forest of Arden is doing in the Far East, but uh, surely there's a new spin on things. Now, the Forest of Arden is all sorts of things to all sorts of audiences. Uh Depends which school you went to, you know. Can be a golden Eden. Uh, it was the home of Robin Hood. Uh, or it could be a mythic folk world where we forget all about the social injustices, you know, like Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, can represent an ancient Arcadia. Mm, I love the, I love the sets. Every time I've seen As You Like It, the sets usually you know, move out into the audience. They're so, so thick, you can't see the actors. Anyway, whether or not this production gives me a Rosaline I can admire, uh, I'll have to wait and see. Um, Rosaline, of course, uses the disguise of Ganymede, the male cupbearer to Jove, you know. This is a homosexual disguise, perhaps, or anyway, a way to allow a woman... To speak truth to men, we'll see. 
you know, Kenneth Branagh gave us one hell of a Hamlet, uh, just about the longest, I think, on film. Uh, he says that he used every single line from the original play. Uh, I think it's more than four hours. Kate Winslet played his Ophelia. He played this very blonde uh, Hamlet set in the 19th century. Uh, he gave us a lyric, Much Ado About Nothing, with Emma Thompson as Beatrice to his Benedict. Uh, kind of kind of light that one was, but it was just this lovely, lovely Tuscan countryside. It was very, very pretty. And Denzel Washington played the prince. Uh, and now the best, the truly great film from Kenneth Branagh uh, was his Henry IV. That was really, really uh, marvelous. I think that's the first one he did. And it hasn't gotten any better, but... Um, that one I watch kind of, kind of regularly. I, I keep checking it out and I prefer it to the Laurence Olivier, um, film, but Olivier's entirely different. It's kind of a storybook look and it's just a different time. Uh, Derek Jacobi takes, a, uh, the opening of Kenneth Branagh's, uh, production and he makes it heavy and serious. Uh, it's really a, a Beautiful anti-war poem, that one. If you get a chance to check it out in the video store, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Henry IV. So if this one, if As You Like It is a flop, just remember that, uh, you know, uh, we all get a shot. And uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh is making quite a career out of giving Shakespeare to the masses, yes. I'm looking here at the epilogue of As You Like It, Rosaline. I must just, I must indulge myself and read you a line or two. Uh, <laughs> she talks about it being uh, unfashionable to see a lady in the epilogue. Um, but then she goes on to say that, uh, uh, she says, I am not furnished like a beggar. Therefore, to beg will not become me. My way is to conjure you, and I'll begin with the women. I charge you, O women, for the love you bear to men, to like as much of this play as please you. And I charge you, O men, for the love you bear to women, as I perceive by your simpering, None of you hates them, that between you and the women the play may please. If I were a woman, I would kiss as many of you as had beards that pleased me, complexions that liked me, and breaths that I defied not. And I am sure as many as have good beards or good faces or sweet breaths will, for my kind offer, when I make curtsy, bid me farewell. The end of As You Like It. I just love it, yes. She threatens to kiss them all and run away. They'll run away, she says, yes. Always makes me think of, yes, Georgie Georgie. Puddin' and Pie kissed the girls and made them cry. And Rosaline does the same to the men. Uh, I want to make a wonderful leap here, uh,
I think, uh, what is it, the capacity to hold opposing ideas in the mind simultaneously and continue to function, yes, that that's a test of our intelligence, right. Uh, and I want to jump right from that charming play to Lust and Disgust, uh, A History of Feminist Prudery. Yes, Feminist Prudery and Otherwise. Uh, it's the strangest thing, you know, uh, sex or sexuality or what is, it's the best and the worst of being human. And uh, it's the most exciting and the most boring, gives the most pain, the most pleasure, you know. And of course, like so many things, yes, it's two truths in one. Let's see, my favorite song, I think, is the one that says the joys of love are but a moment long, the pain of love endures the whole life long. Was it Colette called men her dear enemies? Jane Austen used to claim for her sex uh, in, in her book, in her novel Persuasion. She writes that a woman's capacity to care long after all hope has gone exceeds that of men. That is to say, uh, I guess that would mean the widow thing. I think of Queen Victoria's capacity for mourning. Yes, she mourned Albert for 50 years, was it? Anyway, I think of that as closer to religiosity on the part of women. I mean, after all, men don't ask to be worshipped. Or maybe they do. Maybe they do. Anyway, there are three books reviewed in uh, a recent Harper's uh, uh, actually, it's the new one. It's Harper's September 2007. And I found this fascinating because it's all about lust and disgust. A short history of prudery, feminist, and otherwise. It's this complicated problem, you know. Uh, when we, when we loathe what we worship and, uh, you know, there's always this underlying revulsion at the same time. Most people are driven by their desires. Let's face it. There are three books that this reviewer tosses around. Her name is Laura Kipnis, K-I-P-N-I-S. And she's read these three books, and she talks about them. And the one I think I'm going to stick with is the first one by Andrea Dworkin called Intercourse. Oops. Uh, there's another one, Girls Gone Mild. Young Women Reclaim Self-Respect and Find It's Not Bad to Be Good by Wendy Shallot. <laughs> and then the third one is Unhooked. How Young Women Pursue Sex, Delay Love, and Lose It Both. Well, folks, I just don't know. You can look up these reviews if you want to. Check out all the details. It is true that people are still curious about these subjects of... Let me read you just a little bit of what Laura Kipnis has to say. She's the author of a book called Against Love, a Polemic. Uh, there's also another book. Her uh, recent publication is called The Female Thing. Uh, that's not out yet, actually. It says it will be published this fall in paperback. The Female Thing. I put that on my list of books to read this fall. Um, obviously, she has some negative thoughts on this subject. 
Now, here's what she writes. She writes, sex is bad for women, and I mean bad in every sense of the word, from the dismal quality of the experience itself to the lasting harm psychological, social, existential it inflicts. At least, this is a premise with a certain traction in the cultural imagination. And it seems in no danger of losing its hold, even in an era that simultaneously pays frequent lip service to the polar opposite premise. That is, that sexual parity between men and women is now a fact, and that sex is finally good for women. So let's all party. I have a footnote here. I'm always saying to myself, where's the party? Yes, where's the party? (laughs) That's funny, but I don't think you can separate sex from the general climate of things. Uh, I don't know. Maybe things are better in Brazil. Anyway, she goes on to say, in short, there are many conflicting stories circulating about what women are getting up to in bed and how much they're really enjoying it and whether proclaiming enjoyment is even a reliable indicator of anything when it's a woman doing the proclaiming. We are the sex, after all, notorious for faking it. Yes, women do fake enjoyment in so many ways, not just sex. In fact, for women, even good sex, or sex you mistakenly thought was good, may be bad for you in ways you can't calculate. Laura Kipnis goes on to say, The literature of bad sex is rather extensive, as is bad writing about sex, though these aren't necessarily the same thing. <laughs> now, there, there is a reference to As You Like It. I think that As You Like It is a wonderful way to write about sex because, of course, it's putting us on, especially all that androgynous cross-dressing stuff uh, Obviously, we need a mask to say what we really think. We needed it in the 16th century, and we need it in the 21st century, I guess. Anyway, Laura goes on to write a mainstay of the genre that is writing about sex uh, is the cautionary tale aimed at dissuading women from having sex or sex of the wrong kind or with the wrong people. Arguments vary. Politics may vary. But the message keeps coming around again like a hit single on a top 40 station. Now, she goes on to list the three recent variations on the theme, those three books that we mentioned. Uh, And like me, she says that by far the most interesting, despite its advanced age, is a 20th anniversary edition of Andrea Dworkin's radical feminist classic, Intercourse. In case you've forgotten, Andrea Dworkin was the notorious anti-pornography activist and theorist most famous for having said that all intercourse is rape, though she claimed she never actually said that. Now, this reprint arrives with a new introduction by Ariel Levy. Ariel Levy is the author of Female Chauvinist Pigs, published in 2005. Now, uh, I have nothing against Ariel Levy, but I found the book Female Chauvinist Pigs uh, rather thin, uh, not too much there. Uh, It was, uh, I'm ashamed to say, 
a little too cute for me. Anyway, um, anyway, Levy was less a fan of Dworkin's in Pigs. Uh, that's another book of, of uh, Ariel Levy's. She says that uh, Andrea Dworkin is an extremist. Yes, she labeled her an extremist, yes, in her book Pigs. Now, that's undoubtedly true. It's also a little backhanded given that Levy was reprising so many of Dworkin's arguments, although in less extreme tones. But uh, Laura goes on to say, I too must admit that, that I never had much use for Dworkin and have ranted against her in print on a few occasions, though I now must further admit that I found rereading her this time around strangely enjoyable. Okay, aha. Uh-huh. Now that Andrea is dead... Now that she has died for our sins, she died at age 58, a heartbreaking death. I'll go into that some other time. Uh, certainly, if anybody ever died of a broken heart, it was Andrea Dworkin. Uh, anyway, people are beginning to get it. And this reviewer, Laura uh, Kipnis, goes on to say that Dworkin is the great female refusenik. And just because sex disgusted her, it doesn't mean she isn't often funny and even profound on the subject. <laughs> I remember one time uh, someone complaining to me bitterly that Andrea Dworkin was anti-sex and didn't like sex. And she was on the Phil Donahue show and the audience yelled at her and said, well, you just feel that way because you can't get a boyfriend. And she sat there very quietly. Um, when I first met her, I remember... Shaking her hand, she was the softest. Uh, she was just the gentlest little tiny woman. Uh, she did wear dungarees. One of our, uh, one of my colleagues here, long gone, uh, I remember he said, uh, with regard to her performances on TV, he said, couldn't she get some kind of a dress, not wear those, uh, dungarees? Uh, she was, uh, a round little thing, but the sweetest, most passive uh, woman, I think, what is it, a portrait of depression. Should have been a rabbi, Andrea Dworkin. Anyway, uh, Miss Kipnis goes on to say that previously I was under the impression that it was only heterosexual sex that disgusted Dworkin. But as... uh, Ariel Levy's introduction helpfully informs Dworkin may have proclaimed herself a lesbian, yet she was not known to have logged any hours in the actual enterprise, either romantically or sexually. Yes. Once again, Andrea Dworkin died in 2005 at the age of 58. Um, She certainly thought about sex a lot. It was her um, subject, obviously, Um, I remember once she came to town and she was picketed down at Cody's because she was doing uh, anti-pornography book something. And um, she was over staying over at the Sheraton Hotel and I kept talking to her on the phone. And there were all these pickets, but she did she did come to the reading and walk through the pickets and she she seemed to know that people would understand eventually. Um, uh, Kepnes goes on to say. That Dworkin was an unorthodox enough lesbian to have loved and secretly married a man, her soulmate, (laughs) 
with whom she cohabited for over three decades. Now, recently I've been reading uh, his essays about her, and of course he describes her frailty, her vulnerability, that sort of thing. He, too, was gay and happened to have health insurance. Right, happily Dworkin found the kind of love she neither believed in nor could tolerate. <laughs> Let's see, one that didn't involve bodies. Yes, that is to say, yes, what was it we used to say? Uh, more sweet than the bodily kind and much less of a nuisance, yes. The meeting, messy meeting up of alien genitals... Uh, no accommodation to male desire. Anyway, Dworkin had far less confidence in the ability of other women to hew their own nonconformist paths. Perhaps not without reason, indeed, indeed. Uh, as we are always saying, those of us feminists who find that we are so terribly out of fashion, if there's one thing more irritating than men on the subject of sexuality, it's women. You know how that is. What was it? Uh, Mark Twain said, If man is proved to be a fool in this department, woman has proved to be a damn fool. <laughs> anyway, Andrea Dworkin was an extremist because she kept harping on the nasty undercurrent of inequality in sexual relationships between men and women, and she just wouldn't let that drop. In fact, she seemed to revel in it. Now, Mild-mannered and non-feminist writers keep strumming this same banjo to, namely, the notion that men on the whole get more out of sex than women do, and even when the women in question think they're operating in some liberated fashion, you know, turning the tables, having recreational sex just like the guys. My footnote here is Sex in the City, you know, that TV show Sex in the City, that's the one where the girls all act like bachelors, you know. Anyway, she goes on to say that no matter what they say, they are dupes and that uh, they're doing irreparable harm to themselves in the process. Yes, I remember the sexual liberation, um, uh, that crowd, I remember noticing that women were uh, killing themselves because, <laughs> yes, it was, it was supposed to be uh, bad form to refuse. When I grew up, uh, it was bad form to give in, and then in the 60s it became bad form to refuse. It showed that you were uptight. Anyway, for Andrea Dworkin, intercourse is not a private act or a personal folly. It's a form of political occupation equal to what any colonized people have endured. At least this line of analysis meant that she refrained from dispensing advice on how to get more foreplay or how to land a man by playing hard to get or other quick fixes to feminine dilemmas. She didn't believe in individual solutions, and she didn't think that a little freedom was enough. She wanted to overturn the whole system. <laughs> I remember telling her myself that what I loved about her was that she didn't want to rock the boat. She wanted to sink it. She kind of laughed a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, she was such a sad, sad woman. There's a wonderful book. Uh, I want to go on with this, uh, some of this article next time and then compliment it with a little book by Andrea Dworkin, which is, uh, long out of print. It's called The New Woman's Broken Heart. 
and it comes from a little small press down in Palo Alto. And it's all about a woman she calls Bertha Schneider, and Bertha Schneider's existential edge. And it's a wonderful personal uh, spin on the existential agony that this woman suffered during her 58 years. Uh, she had a really rough time. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air to, well, Thursday morning at 8.20. I hope you get a chance to see As You Like It tonight, Kenneth Brenner's As You Like It. Till Thursday morning at 8.20, you go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of Gracias. Mahalo. Grazie. Merci. Mucha queram. Yorandiela. Abrigado. Asante. Thank you for listening and supporting KPFA 94.1 FM. Thank y'all so much. This is Free Speech Radio News for Tuesday.